0: I once achieved the rank of a one-star general, in the Cracker Barrel Army, that is. In college, I worked as a server at the chain restaurant Cracker Barrel in Lakeland, Florida, selling biscuits, country-fried steak, and peach cobbler to customers from all over the place. I waited on exhausted young families who had just spent the day at Disney World, international tourists on their way to the beach, but mostly, I served retirees. I once saw a T-shirt that read, Florida, where America goes to die. If you've ever lived there, it's no surprise to you that Florida remains the most popular U.S. state for seniors all over the country to relocate to after retirement. And while a retirement in Florida might sound amazing, with lots of sunshine, white sandy beaches, and shuffleboard, the reality of it is a bit more nuanced. The retirees would start rolling in for dinner around 4 p.m. in their Lincoln Town Cars and Ford Crown Victorias, and I know things were about to get real. They'd be sat at tables around the dining room, and we know as servers we had a much smaller margin for error with these particular customers than others. While some of them were exceptionally kind and friendly, my experience, along with all the other one, two, three, four, and five-star generals at this particular Cracker Barrel, with most of the retirement community in Florida, was not a great one. A lot of them were just flat-out mean. It might be fairly normal for some older folks to grow sour, grouchy, and curmudgeonly in the twilight of their years. But for some of these retirees, the crustiness was on a completely different level. I once got snapped at, like literally a finger snap, by an older woman for sweeping the floor next to her table too loudly. I once got a tongue lashing for bringing out the wrong food to a man who couldn't remember what he'd actually ordered when I asked him how I could make it right. And for the record, he actually did order the shrimp. Sometimes I was given the rare opportunity to build bridges and connect with some of the more difficult and mean retirees. What I discovered was fascinating. Many of them had spent their entire lives working to get to retirement. But once they got there, They were miserable. I heard stories of celebrated careers in telecommunication, retail, and manufacturing, how some of these retirees had spent their lives working hard and pinching pennies to save up for their big dream, a retirement in Florida. But now, many of them expressed to me that their lives just felt a bit empty. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them truly did find enjoyment in things like playing golf and collecting seashells and playing shuffleboard. But for others, they expressed to me a kind of disappointment in the fact that a life of amusement, comfort, and fun wasn't as cracked up as they'd made it to be. A lot of them wanted to go back to working a career job. After conversations like that, I'd sometimes read the faces of other grouchy retirees and try to figure out just what it was that was making them so cantankerous. And maybe I was wrong, but sometimes the look on their face just seemed to say, Is this it? Is this what I worked my entire life for? To play golf, collect seashells, and eat the early bird special until the day I keel over and die? Welcome to the Committed Masculinity Podcast, a limited series that explores the issues and challenges facing Christian men who are serious about Jesus's invitation to be a disciple. On each episode of the series, we will review the content of each chapter of the book, Committed Biblical Masculinity, and then discuss the issues of each episode with a special guest. On today's episode, chapter seven, live a life of purpose. Cracker Barrel, Radiohead, and a life that actually matters. With special guest, Mike Sanchez. A life of purpose. In every one of us, there is a desire for more than just existing and getting by. We want to be alive. We want to live fully and chase after and achieve dreams. We have a need to feel like our life actually matters, and we're accomplishing something of value with the time we have. We want our lives to count. Some of us even spend time fantasizing about being discovered, being a hero, or being remembered for something. Unfortunately, many of us channel that God-given desire for success and achievement in all the wrong ways. We search for significance in materialism. Life is about making enough money to be happy. Hedonism. Life is about having fun, pleasure, and a good time. Moralism. Life is about being a good person. Humanism. Life is about caring for people and making good friends. While making money, having fun, having good morals, and having friends are all good things, ultimately, you and I were created for so much more. See, each of these things can add some level of fulfillment to humanity, but in and of themselves, they can't provide your life with the kind of meaning and purpose you long for and are hungry for. That is, unless they're built on the foundation of something greater. A life devoid of a God-glorifying, eternal purpose will be a life without significance, For most men, we get busy with day-to-day obligations and responsibilities. We then scramble to find rest in something that gives us pleasure, which then leads us to get stuck in a soulless, robotic cycle of monotony. We wake, work, eat, rest, and sleep, only to do the same the next day and the day after. We tell ourselves that we will get to finding our life's purpose someday, but for most of us, someday almost always equals never. And so we turn on the cruise control and settle for a life without purpose. We opt for a life built on the shallow obsessions of modern society to conform to the soulless scripts of materialism, humanism, or hedonism, and keep up the appearance that everything is okay, even as we eventually realize deep down how pointless and artificial it all really is. On their 1997 album, OK Computer, the band Radiohead has a track that speaks to the dehumanizing soullessness of modern secular life. In the song, Fitter, Happier, a synthesized computer voice reads lyrics over sampled music and background sound, giving a checklist of slogans that describe the ideal life of a modern man, fitter, happier, more productive, comfortable not drinking too much, regular exercise at the gym three days a week, getting on better with your associate employee contemporaries, at ease, eating well, no more microwave dinners and saturated fats, a patient, better driver, a safer car, baby smiling in backseat, sleeping well, no bad dreams. Music journalist Ann Zaleski describes how the song then takes a rather dark turn. As the song progresses, cracks in the well-adjusted facade start to appear, now self-employed, concerned but powerless, before becoming a full-blown yawning chasms by the song's end, no longer empty and frantic, like a cat tied to a stick that's driven into frozen winter shit. It's emblematic of how madness can subtly creep in and infect the soul, as well as external relationships. And the song ends with a robotic character describing his artificial soulless existence as a pig in a cage on antibiotics. We can busy ourselves with pursuing the vain purposes of modern life, to simply be fitter, happier, in our day-to-day existence, but that's not really living. To be fully alive, we must have a greater purpose than to simply exist and be comfortable. The examined life. In our lives, there will be two judges we face. Ultimately, we will face God and he will examine our lives. He will judge our sins if we've not trusted in Christ and our works to serve Christ if we were believers. But for most of us, the second judge comes when we look at the mirror. And it's right for us to daily stop, reflect, and question if we're living a life that we're proud of. At certain parts of my day when I'm tired or overwhelmed, There's a great temptation to simply turn off my brain and numb it through TV, Netflix, or Instagram. But Socrates once famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Sometimes it's right for all of us to force ourselves to ask if all the time, money, and energy we invest throughout each day are given towards things that have any eternal value whatsoever. But if we don't know our purpose we'll discover that most of our important daily resources get spent by default on things that usually just don't matter. Proverbs 25 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Many of us as men wonder why we sometimes don't understand what we are here for. I think this happens when we fail to invest ourselves in what God has placed in our hearts. This often happens when we assume our purpose but never take the time to truly seek it out. Until we rely on God to reveal our purpose to us in times of prayer, Bible reading, meditation on scripture, and Christian community to tell us what they see in us, we'll get so consumed in the want-tos and have-tos in our lives that we'll never ask God to draw out our deeper purpose. We'll never ask what we were made for. If we never seek God's purpose for our lives, the world will gladly sell us its purposes. As we give ourselves to the purposes of materialism and hedonism, we may find ourselves fitter, happier, and more productive and comfortable in the short term. But when we give up God's purposes in life, it will eventually cost us something. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, for what does it profit for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? When we forfeit our God-given purpose and compromise ourselves to the world around us, it may feel good in a moment, but ultimately we never gain anything by compromising our God-given purpose. We always lose something. Over time, we may even find ourselves like a pig in a cage on antibiotics, discovering our purpose. As we lean into Christ not in perfection, but in commitment, we begin to discover who we really are only in who God wants us to become. God begins to speak to our hearts and place in them desires that are filled with eternal purpose, meaning, and value. Ultimately, we find a life of significance in knowing whose we are and that our value comes from what the Father says about us. When we're not living according to who we truly are in Christ, The purpose for our life can quickly become about things that ultimately don't matter. Our lives can be about chasing after comfort and simply finding the path of comfort and least resistance. Our lives can be about following the course of this world, Ephesians 2.2, where we simply conform to the priorities and patterns of those around us. But God wants to remind us who we truly are. And with that, he wants us to seek out his purposes for our lives. Some of those purposes are the same for every Christ follower, to display the image of Christ, glorify God, and make disciples. But some of those purposes are specific only to you. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has uniquely crafted and designed each of us to fulfill a God-glorifying, eternal purpose purpose. That only we can do. We each have a destiny in Christ, a calling from God, a divine assignment. And it's far greater than making good money in a career job for the next 40 years until we retire someday in Florida to play golf until we kill over and die. Some of us may be called to serve God in international missions, others may be given the assignment of working in the marketplace as a missionary in the world of finance or real estate. Still others of us might be prompted by the Lord to stay in our current career and start a nonprofit on the side that works with the homeless in our community. My point is, you have a God-given purpose and destiny to do good works for eternal value. And your specific purpose and calling is different from mine, and mine is different from yours. But we all have one. To that end, I want to ask you to very loaded questions. One, what do you think God called you to do with your life? Two, what's that one thing you believe God has created you for, but you have yet to act upon? You might be saying to yourself, well, if I knew the answer to those questions, I wouldn't be listening to this podcast. But just stop for a second and think about it. Maybe hit the pause button and say a prayer. Ask God about it ask, God, what have you called me to do with my life? What's something you've created me for that I have yet to act on? If you just prayed that, I'm guessing you probably didn't hear an audible voice giving you an immediate answer. But remember, seeking out the purposes God has placed in your heart takes time. A man of understanding will prayerfully, thoughtfully, patiently, and humbly seek to draw them out over the course of a lifetime. Beginning with prayer is a great start. Before we talk about some other practical ways to decipher God's purposes and will for our lives, let me just give you two very practical words of caution. First, you don't have to wait to hear a specific revelation from God to serve Him with your life. All of us, as followers of Jesus, have been given the purpose of displaying the image of Christ in our lives, glorifying God through our words and actions, and making disciples out of those around us who don't know Jesus. God doesn't have to write that in the clouds or have the face of Jesus show up in your toast for you to obey him in these areas. He's already written it for you in his word, the Bible. Secondly, many times God will wait to show you your specific purpose as you follow Jesus in the path of obedience to the basic purposes of the Christian life. What I mean is this, if you're wanting to know God's will and specific purposes for which career path you should choose, woman you should marry or major you should pick in school and yet you're not even being obedient to the basic purposes of God in your life for example living a holy life serving others making disciples you're probably not going to hear from God why would God reveal more to us when we're not obeying what he's already spoken instead we need to focus on obeying what he's already called us to do share the gospel with that unbelieving coworker serve God in that ministry in your church that really needs some help. And as you obey, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit may speak to your heart. Over the years, I've found that often many things in life get clarified when we practice the discipline of getting still and asking the right kinds of questions. In discovering our God-given purposes in life, it's no different. What follows are a series of very practical questions that you might ask yourself as you pray and seek out what God may be calling you to specifically in your life. What are some things that I find are naturally easy for me that others may find difficult? God has equipped every one of us with unique talents, personalities, strengths, and natural giftings. Some of us are great at working a room and making every person in a large group feel comfortable. Others of us would rather be in the background, working on spreadsheets, or fixing a part on an engine none of the natural talents God has placed in you were put there by accident. They were given to you by God for a purpose and a reason. So how can you use those talents and strengths for His glory and the purposes of eternity? What needs in this broken world move my heart? What makes me angry? What makes me sad? And what kinds of problems do I seem to continually notice? Isn't it interesting how we naturally gravitate towards noticing the same kinds of brokenness and dysfunction in the world around us? I have a friend who finds himself constantly getting in deep conversations with total strangers, servers in restaurants, people on airplanes, cashiers at Walmart, about church hurt. He can't explain it, but it's like he's a magnet for people who've experienced spiritual abuse. If there's a certain need, issue, problem, or topic that you keep noticing— and you can't get off your mind, it could be that God is giving you a burden. With that burden comes a certain responsibility. What are you going to do to help fix the brokenness that God keeps allowing you to see? What are some practical skills or experiences I have that I might use to serve God and others? Nothing in the story of your life is an accident. Every lesson you've learned An experience you've had has been given to you by God for a reason. I met a young man on a missions trip who once had the potential of a promising career in Major League Baseball. That is, until he blew his knee out in training camp. He spent months questioning God and feeling anger for what he felt were wasted years of practicing, training, and devoting everything he had towards baseball, only to have it all come up short in a dramatic and painful end. That is, of course, until he traveled to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. He saw hundreds of at-risk young men in poverty that adored the sport of baseball. My friend began making plans to offer baseball clinics and camps to these young men so he could build bridges and share Christ. I can't think of anyone more qualified for such a work. Nothing in our lives is wasted when we commit ourselves fully to God's purposes. So what experiences has God given you that you might use to serve others and glorify Jesus. What desires to serve has God placed on my heart? Unlike Buddhism, which teaches that desire is the primary cause of suffering, Christianity tells us to put to death our destructive desires, Colossians 3, 5, and allow God to transform our minds and hearts to give us healthy ones, Romans 12, 2, Psalm 37, 4. As God renews our minds and we delight ourselves fully in Him, He gives our hearts new desires and passions to glorify Him and serve others. So what are those passions God has placed on your heart? What do others within the church see in me? We've all seen those cringy American Idol auditions of people who can't sing, embarrassing themselves on national television and wondered, Why didn't this poor guy's family and friends tell him he couldn't sing? Or why didn't this guy ask his family and friends if he could sing before he embarrassed himself in front of the entire country? We're not good at everything we may think we're good at. And we might be a lot better at certain things than we actually realize. That's why we need others within the body of Christ to speak into our giftings and tell us what they may see in us. So what things have others seen in you that you might use to glorify God and serve others? Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. There is never a purpose God will give to any of us that's not tied to our obedience to Christ. When we understand that our purpose is found in him lived out through Him, and is for Him, our purpose will lead us closer to Him. And that's when we really begin to find life. Live a life of purpose. You were made for more than shuffleboard, golf, and the early bird special at Cracker Barrel. You have a destiny in the story of God. What are you doing to seek that out and live your life according to God's plans, not your own?
1: So my guest today is none other than my friend, Mike Sanchez. I can't believe I get to sit down with the one, <laughs> the only, the Mike Sanchez. You're
2: Mike, crazy. how you doing today, man? I'm wonderful, brother. How about yourself?
1: I've got a little bit of the Barry White thing going on, so nice. that's good for podcasting. Yes. Not good for anything else. I can't, <laughs> I can't yell at my kids if I need to get their attention, but uh, I got this thing going on. so It'll work for now. Yeah, it'll work for now. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, so Mike, I met you... Man, probably eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, we met under some of the most unusual circumstances. Yes. Um, You came to my office one afternoon in January, I believe it was. You came to my office with $300 and a Ugandan phone charger and some Ugandan shillings. You laid your hands on me, you prayed for me, and then you left. And I said, who in the world is that guy?
2: (laughs) So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll get back to that story. We'll circle back (laughs) around to it. Well, my name is Mike Sanchez, and um, I was uh, grew up in a little bit of a tough situation. Was a little bit uh, very broken, and didn't come to know Christ until much later in my life. I became a believer around the age of twenty eight, and um, through some lots of people reaching out to me and sharing sharing God's love with me, I just was not willing to receive it for so long.
1: Mm. So, you grew up in a tough. Situation, your your childhood had a lot of challenges. You've shared some of those with me.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, you know, it was overall my family was good. Um, there was just some tough circumstances between my father and I, and mm. and through that, I chose to I chose to leave the house at an early age of fifteen. Yeah, you got married pretty young too, right? Yes, uh, Eric and I got married when I was twenty one and she was nineteen. Mm and we're coming up on 25 years of marriage now, in Yeah. June. And you were a semi-professional soccer player at one point in your life, is that right? Yeah, well, I I had the offer to go full full-blown pro, believe it or not. Yeah. And 6 months before, well, when I got the offer in 6 months Erica and I were supposed to be married. And they mm. when I asked, they said that she couldn't be with us or travel with us for at least 2 years. And yeah. uh, so I said no, and to be honest, it's probably one of the Best decisions I could have made. Yeah, but you can always talk to young guys and be like, you yeah. know, I almost was a yes. professional athlete. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So you got into the HVAC business pretty early on in your life. You were a young guy. Was that when you were in your 20s, right after you were married?
2: So my grandfather owned an HVAC business back where I grew up, okay. back where I come from in New Mexico, and so. Um, there was times where I worked with him as young as 10 or 11 in some really tight spots that they needed someone really small to fit. And so <laughs> I learned a lot from there and he had a fabrication shop, uh, cause he, in hit for his business. And so I learned how to make things at a young age. And so I did that quite a bit, um, even at a very young age. But when I left from home, um, it took several years before he had let me work for him again.
1: Yeah. 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 So you, you kind of went off on your own. And is that how that started? You, you went off on your own after working for your granddad?
2: So, yeah. So, after working for my granddad for a little bit, and then when I left the home at 15, I kind of did some other things for a while. And then um, when Erica and I got married again, um, I had been back in that, doing that line of work for about three or four years okay. before we moved. Um, and then after about six months of marriage, Erica and I moved to Tennessee.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. So... You guys were here in Tennessee. You just got married. You weren't a believer. You started running into some challenges in your marriage. Things started to get rocky. Talk to me about that. Like, what was it that led you to Christ and kind of led you to that place of surrender and repentance?
2: Yeah. So, so my wife, when when we got married, I had always told her that once we got married, I'd go to church, and <laughs> that wasn't the that wasn't the truth. <laughs> and uh, so she would go fairly. When we moved to Tennessee, she would go to church with my mom. Fairly often, most of the time, and would always ask me to go. And she might get me to go once every three or four years, um, but uh, I I was working for a company doing HVAC up here as well, and and uh, well, there was a company I worked for, and I had fallen off the roof, and mm. it was it wasn't real high, it was like 13 feet, but when I landed, I landed on my tailbone on some concrete, and so created some damage in my back, and. There was a point at that point um the doctors had wanted to do a bunch of surgeries and um they actually had some special spring shoes that helped me walk. <laughs> it's mm. kind of silly looking, wow. but but uh and, and I can remember they told me I would never lift over twenty-five pounds the rest of my life. Wow. And through that process, um I ended up getting addicted to pain pills. Mm. And as that progressed, I kept it hidden from my wife pretty well. Um and as that progressed, basically what happened is I uh, became, I came to a place where I was taking away more than I ever needed to. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the way I functioned and coped. And, and I came to a place of, of where I realized that this struggle with my back and the pain pills and all of that, I felt like there was a, that if I was not in the picture, my wife and daughter could do much better on their own. And mm-hmm. so... My daughter, my wife, and I were supposed to be going to a a friend's house for dinner. And I let my, uh, I told my wife and my daughter that I wasn't feeling well, that they still needed to go, but I was going to stay behind. And I had been coming up with a plan for a little while now. And I had saved up 75 Oxycontins. And I went outside and hid all the evidence and took those and went to bed, hoping that when they got home, they would think I was just sleeping. Wow. And I, I, they, it sounds a little, little over the top, but, uh, they didn't know what I'd done. I didn't tell her for a long time. Um, Mm. the next three months were really, really, really rough. Um, but there was a point in there, uh, during that, that three months. And and I can't remember exactly when, but my wife had laid a Bible on my nightstand and it was realistically probably the first time I ever read something out of a Bible. Um, and I opened up and I, I believe I opened up, right away to Matthew, but when I was reading that night, that first night I was reading out of Matthew chapter twenty five, starting at verse thirty one where it talks about separating the sheep from the goats and, mm. and something with that scripture really resonated with me and, and I said, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, I I would like to give my life to you and follow you. <coughs> wow.
1: Man, that's incredible. And from what let's like we let go I wanna go back a little bit. When you took the oxygon you said you took seventy five Oxycotton and that laid you up for 3 months i mean there physically there was about,
2: there was i was still um i wasn't in the bed for 3 months but yeah. i was i would go try to handle a few things and come home and rest and stay in bed most of the time again yeah. what's hard is i don't I, I can't explain it but my mind i really just don't remember a whole lot for about mm. a, there was about a 3 month period there where it was it's hard to explain it's almost like i wasn't present in it all, but I know right, it was, right, right. I just couldn't remember much.
1: So even in the midst of that, God's spirit pursued you and led you to himself and um, did just an amazing work in your life.
2: Absolutely. And what's crazy is there's so many times I can go back and look at all the times he had been pursuing me all along. And yeah. for whatever reason, with my hard headedness it it really took um, me being at the 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 most low that I've ever been to recognize it.
1: Wow. So man, after you became a Christian, um, it seems to me, cause you, you and I have been friends for a while. You've I've heard you share your testimony many times, but, um, something that's always struck me about your testimony is God saved you. God did a work in your heart. And it, it almost seemed like you were not content after that to go back to status quo. Um, you're one of the most humble guys I know, so you probably are never going to say this out loud. So I'll just go ahead and say it for you. You had the potential in your business to go as far as you wanted to go in the HVAC business.
2: It, it was tough. Um, yes, the, the the Lord definitely made... I, I'm not a businessman. I never claimed to be. Um, I knew how to work on air conditioners and and when I was, I was working for a, for a company still when all of this happened and when I became a Christian and as I started studying, um, I'm not going to go into great detail, but there was a lot of things that I saw that weren't quite (laughs) with where I felt I could continue doing, uh, with me being a Christian. And, Mm. and when I tried to bring some of those things to the table, um, it just wasn't, uh, just wasn't received well. You're talking about in your company. In the company that I was working for. And so I gave notice to the company I was working for. They pleaded with me to stay, and and I kept staying and kept staying. And and finally, I I gave them a a six-month mark that I had to be gone. I would train whoever Mm. they wanted, but I I really needed to go because I really felt like that was the only way I could be obedient. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because it was heavy on my heart to do that. And and so after the six months, I... I went to work for another company, and um, there was a there was some things there um, that I don't really want to go into detail with that just did not line up with Christian values either, mm. and so we didn't know what to do, and we, my wife is just always awesome. I'm still a baby Christian, and we prayed and prayed, and we didn't know other than my wife felt like whatever it was, we weren't supposed to leave um, because we had a really amazing offer in Texas from a person who wanted to invest a bunch of money and open a business and make starting a business really easy for yeah, us. But, yeah. but my wife, uh, you know, together we prayed and, and we came finally to the conclusion together 100% that we weren't supposed to leave our church family at that time.
1: Wow. And so pretty early on in your Christian life, you had an encounter that led to you going on a mission trip. And led to you doing ministry work, even though you were working a full time job, you were you know running this business, doing your HVAC stuff, um, you know, achieving and finding success in that. Talk to me about that. What was that like when you kind of saw that world of ministry and
2: working in missions and things like that? Yeah, so I was um, I was in a I was in Florida actually, and I was living in Tennessee, but I was in Florida for about a week. And one of the most crazy things happened. Um, still sounds bizarre even sharing it out loud now, but I remember seeing this man and he was being pushed in a wheelchair by a, by a young boy. And this, this thought, this feeling came over me very strongly that I was supposed to pray for him. Mm. And I'm like, that just that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's going through my head after I'm thinking, no, that just doesn't make any sense. And then there was a woman who I had never met in my life who was was there near me and she says hey she got my attention she said you were supposed to pray for that man and I'm like wow what in the world because I don't know this woman she doesn't there's no way she could have known I was even paying attention to the man yeah and uh I just kind of felt uneasy and and I kind of jogged to catch up to the man and and the boy pushing him and and I was nervous and I didn't know what to say and and I just asked the man if I could pray for him not for anything specific but if I could just pray for him and, um, and he kind of just stared at me and I felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I asked him a second time and he was still staring and, oh my goodness, I, I just wanted to turn around and, and walk away. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I, um, you know, I asked him a third time and when I asked him the third time, I could notice that he was very slowly reaching his hand out. Um, I didn't wow. realize his body, he, he moved so slow and, sure. and so, um, and he just nodded his head and so I, I grabbed his hand and, and. Couldn't tell you what we prayed, but prayed with the man and and got done. And, and the man starts yelling, "Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord!" He wow. said, uh, "He said the Lord healed me. I can speak." And he shared that uh, the boy pushing was fourteen years old, and it was his son. And his son had never heard him speak. Oh my goodness! He was mute um, for a long time. I don't know why he became mute. Yeah. But for whatever reason, the Lord healed that man that day.
1: Praise and, God. Amen. And that was like a shock to you. You've never oh, seen anything like that. No, that was no. You most no. certainly had never done anything like no, that. Yeah. No.
2: Well, and, and to you know even a little bit crazier. With that same man, uh, five minutes later, this man got up and walked out of his wheelchair. And wow. Everyone is freaking out, and and they started talking about like calling people, and and they called the news, and I left. I, I, I snuck out of that place and got Wow. Because as as I could. I didn't. My mind. I was just in disbelief. Sure. Didn't even sure. know what to think. What I. You no framework then, no, to comprehend I, no, that. and not yeah. at all. Wow. Not at all. And so that kind
1: of opened up a whole new world for you to go, man, if this is what God is able to do.
2: Well, yeah. Well, what happened was about three months later, um, I got a message through Facebook Messenger from a guy named Onlay, And he was a, he's a, he spends most of his life evangelizing other countries. Mm. And he messaged me asking if I'd be willing to have a conversation with him and, and, uh, I didn't respond right away. Just I never knew who this guy was. It's Facebook Messenger, you know. And so I finally messaged him back and told him I was willing to give him a phone call. And so I called him and we talked. And um, he shared that he had been having these dreams and visions that the Lord had told him to take me with him to Uganda. Hmm. And and I'm like, that just doesn't make sense to me. And and uh, I said, how do you, like, how do you even know? Who how do you know who I am? Hmm. And he said, well, he said, three or so months ago, he said, I was in Florida and I witnessed uh, you praying for a man and God healing him. And wow. he said, and you disappeared and couldn't find you. He said, and I've, you know, I didn't think a whole, I said, I was amazed, but I didn't think yeah. about you a whole lot.
1: So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Was that a church service that you had prayed for that guy? No. It was just a random. It was in the streets.
2: Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was just How crazy random. is that, man? Yeah, I know. I really <clears throat> random. Wow, so he had heard so
1: about him. that somehow, some way? about.
2: So he was there and he witnessed it. That man happened to be wow. there. Wow. Him and his wife happened to be there at the same time.
1: So like, one would, would say had- that's coincidence. One could also say that's not coincidence Ab- at all. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And, and
2: so what's so crazy was he, he shared with me that when that happened, shortly after he had the visions and the dreams, he said that just kept, he just kept on. And so he finally... Kept searching until he could, until he somehow found out who I was. Wow! And I don't know how hard that was. I don't know what it took him, but it said yeah. it took him a while. Um, and you know, this is going to sound really over the top, but but what's amazing was so the woman who told me I was supposed to pray for the man, it turns out later I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out later on that was his wife, that was on Lay's wife, who wow. was the evangelist. And and so in that same time frame, I had a within I don't remember exactly the timing, but within Three or four weeks before or after, I don't remember now. Um, I got a another message too through Messenger, and it was a different. It was Kathleen was her name, but it was a different last name, and uh, she had she had reached out and asked if I would be willing to do an an interview on uh, TBN station out of Colorado for pray for a show called Praise the Lord. Wow! And she wanted me to share about what happened in florida and i, yeah. I told him absolutely not i just wasn't comfortable mm. sharing that yeah, yeah, yeah um and she said what would you share and i said I, I would i can share the testimony of what god's done in my life mm. and so uh and and at first and to be honest i told her i didn't want to um and she asked me to pray about it and mm. when i got a phone with anlay about uganda him telling me i was supposed to go to uganda i said no and he said would you at least pray about it and to be honest with you, just to get him to be quiet, I said I would. Yeah. And I told my wife about it because I thought it was crazy. And yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't give any more thought to, to going to Uganda. I really didn't. Wow. Um,
1: but you did pray about it.
2: I did pray about it. Yeah. Um, and so there was a, there was a, it was one weekend, I got a, a call from a church in Smyrna whose pastor was out and they asked if I would cover preaching for him that week. And mm. so I said yes. And, That same weekend, um, there was a young lady who my wife had poured into for for a few years already who had left to be a a missionary in uh, Nicaragua for a couple of years. Mm. And she was coming back, and she was going to be sharing at our church. And so my wife was really wanting to hear her. And I told my wife, I said, you go there, and I'll preach, and we'll meet up after. Yeah. And so when we met for lunch that day after that, my wife said, She said, babe, I I need to share something with you. I said, okay. She goes, I really believe I heard from the Lord that you were supposed to go to Uganda. Wow. And I was like, "Uh, are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) I have no intentions of going out of the country. (laughs) Wow.
1: So you went to Uganda. Mm -hmm.
2: And what happened? So we, me and Anle traveled to Uganda. It's just me and him. I didn't know all the details until we were there. Um, As we're... On our way there, I found out from him that the man who's in Uganda waiting for us, that he's never actually met him. He's only talked to him. And so, <laughs> we don't really know what we're getting ourselves into. Yeah. We don't know anything like that. Um, but we land there, and they pick us up, and we drive to the other side. We land in Entebbe, and we drive all the way to Mbale, And it ends up being like a nine-and-a-half-hour drive because of traffic and all of that. And as we're driving, they're driving us in this like minivan, and they got the... Back then they were a little different. They were real nervous of everything. It's Uganda's nothing to be nervous mm. about, but they had a curtains covering us where we we're in the back seat, so no one could see us. And we we're driving, <laughs> and, and when we finally get there, it's nightfall, and it's a uh, it's a little village in Mbale, and uh, the the guys just tell me because I'm 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 not the guy that likes to be in front of people. I just don't small no. groups no problem. Large <laughs> groups I get pretty nervous and. Uh, so he said, "Don't worry. When we get to the village, all I'm gonna ask you to do is is just pray over the time that we're gonna be spending teaching, and then we'll see where God takes it." Yeah. And so I said, "Okay." So we get there, and they <clears throat> they open the curtains and or they open the door, and we get out, and they've got like like kind of a weird sheet thing built around us around the van too, so nobody can see us. <laughs> and uh, and then they tell us they tell me just go through that curtain, keep walking, climb up the ladder, and. And get on the stage and open us in prayer. Well, you know it's kind of dark. So when I open, there's, you know, I open the curtain. First of all, the ladder you climb up is built out of sticks. Yeah, 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 yeah. As yeah. we see, and then the stage is built out of <coughs> and sticks. And you were a big well. guy back then. You I'm were about real big 150 back pounds back heavier than you are now. Yes. yes, yep, yep. Yes. yep. <laughs> and so, uh, so I climb up and and I get up there and and I see and I look out and man, there's mm. people as far as I can see and I'm like, this. Is terrifying. I don't no. speak in front of people, and there's people as far as I can see. Oh, man. And I end up finding out that later that there was between four to 5,000 people at oh, that crusade. Oh, my gosh. And so I began to to open us in prayer, and um, I see this woman in the crowd, and I heard so clearly from the Holy Spirit to pray for this woman's neck. Um and for whatever reason I didn't hesitate this time and no one no one could know who I'm praying for. There's just a random woman in, in mm-hmm. a group of four to five thousand people. Yeah. That's standing out standing in this crowd that I just pray for from the stage and and then I think I'm having a heart attack. And I I hand over the microphone to a um to to one of the translators there and i'm holding my chest and i'm like i'm gonna die in uganda oh my goodness and no one is speaking and i turn turn to my left and i look and and i see this man and and i really felt like the holy spirit said pray for his heart and so Mm. i got the microphone back and not understanding any of it but i just pray for the man from the stage and then um I did something that they asked me not to do, but I didn't do it on purpose, but I jumped off the stage with the people. Um, I got off the front of the stage and I came across this woman who, you know, she, I would never do this. I would never just touch someone without getting permission, but this woman had this growth below her breasts. I don't know if it was a tumor or a cyst. I really don't know what it was, but Mm. she had this really large growth and And, um, I got to pray for her and somehow the Lord just made that disappear in front of everyone. Wow. And then there was this woman, uh, carrying this, or, uh, pulling her little boy through the crowd and, and I got, and got to, she showed me him and, and he had all of his fingers and his thumb, he had everything in his hand, but his hand was like, kind of like part of it was closed and twisted. So it didn't look normal. And, and, um. and I don't have a translator with me at this point. No one's gotten off the stage, and and uh, and I pray with this this young boy, and somehow the Lord just makes his hand become perfectly. Normal. Wow. And the mom and the boy, they're all crying, and and God is just moving like I had never seen in my entire life, and and there's more happening, and then all of a sudden these. the the men these men grabbed me and said we've got to go we've got to go we've been here too long and I said no 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 God is helping these people we need to stay and 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 so they they had us leave and to be honest with you again I would still call myself a a baby Christian and I was struggling with the idea of why we were leaving all these people that God Mm. was helping and um, they explained to me their explanation to me was that we had been there so long that that we could have issues with some of the neighboring Muslims there. They didn't want to have those gotcha. issues, so it was time gotcha, to leave. Gotcha, gotcha, uh, just We have been there too late. And, yeah. yeah, for safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we get in the vehicle, and we're leaving. And uh, it, it's to me, it seemed like it was 10 minutes long is what it seemed like. Right, 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 right. Um, and we're driving down the road, and um, I have my headphones in, and I'm just listening to music, and I'm just trying to understand why we left, and I'm mm. really flustered. And I can see this light flashing out of the left corner of my eye. And, and I pulled my headphones up and I asked the, the evangelist on lay. I said, hey, what are you watching? And he said, tonight. I said, what do you mean? He said, we record everything. I said, what did you record? And he said, do you want to see it? And I said, sure. So he hands me the video recorder. And it's back when they had those little three-inch windows. And yeah, yeah. I pushed play and I'm watching it. And as I'm watching it, um, the first thing that comes up is, this woman sharing how she walked 30 kilometers hoping that God would heal her neck. And wow. then this man who left the hospital with heart issues they couldn't figure out, hoping God would heal his heart. And this woman with the, with the growth that was on her chest that just disappeared. And the woman with her little boy whose hand was just made whole. And, wow. And here's the crazy thing is I am a mechanically brained person. I like to know how everything works. Yeah. And... I'm the biggest skeptic that ever lived, and I am skeptic of everything, and I truly believe that had God not done, had God not done it the way He had, I may not have believed. Because yeah. what was so crazy to me was. The woman with the neck, there wasn't a single person there that could have known who I was praying for. Yeah. No one, because it was in a random crowd. Oh, sure. Four or and five then, thousand people. Yes. Yeah. it's kind of hard. And the man with the heart, there's no one that could have known. Only <clears throat> I was the only one that had saw him. Yeah. So for them to come forward when I didn't even know they were doing testimonies because I was praying for others. And then the woman with the tumor or sister, whatever it was, and then the little boy. and And wow. that, that changed everything for me. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, because I saw the impact it had, not just, you know, and, and I praise God for the healing. It is absolutely amazing. But what impacted me the most, because that was the first day in that village, was the follow-up and seeing the number of people who gave God the glory and were to be followers of Christ.
1: So you're there in Uganda. You're not a full-time Christian minister. You're not an ordained pastor. You're you're still a baby Christian. Absolutely. You're you're Mike the HVAC guy, yes. right? I mean, 100%. and you're you somehow on on some leap of faith decided that you were going to take this cold call from an evangelist yeah. to go to a developing country on the other side of the world, and then you see God show up and just do these amazing miracles. Yes. When you came back home, and you started going back to work on Monday what was different about how you viewed your job and how you viewed your purpose and how you viewed everything?
2: What really impacted me was I, I I feel like I really truly realized the need the people had for the gospel and Mm. how there was so many people, even in America that don't know Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, It was like I was still doing HVAC, but it became more about evangelizing my customers yeah. yeah, fixing their units. Fixing their units was just a tool I had to have their ear. Right, right,
1: right. So, you know, the chapter of the book uh, that we're talking about today is Living Out Your Purpose. Mm -hmm. You had every opportunity to chase after the American dream. You could have grown your company into a multi-million dollar company. You, you have worked, you've told me before, some very high-end clients in the Nashville area that work in country music and entertainment. Um, man, you could have had over several hundred employees. You, you could have done all of that, chased after the dream of comfort, convenience, wealth, all that, but instead you chose a different path. And um, what's that been like? Tell me, is it, has it been worth it? Has it been full of challenges like what what would that have been like had you gone back to chasing after that dream
2: so there was a time in my business where we made a lot of money no doubt um really good money a really easy easy living very very comfortable um not very fulfilling but comfortable yeah um as far as when I started living for the Lord more and I started understanding the call on my life and the opportunity to see people come into a relationship with Jesus, that is what was fulfilling. That mm-hmm. is what changed who I was as as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a brother or sister in Christ. And you know, it's for me, you know, because a lot of people thought I was crazy. Um, even some of my family members not not my sure. family, but you know, from my close family was like, "Why are you doing this? This makes yeah. no sense. Why are you traveling? Why are you not working? You have all these opportunities." Yeah. And and all you know, complete transparency. There is nothing that ever has brought me joy, true joy, except mm. for except for seeing the gospel lived out yeah. and wow. seeing people's lives changed and seeing people who think they're a no one to realizing they're a child of God, you
1: know? Yeah. Wow. So fast forward to the first time you and I met. Um, <clears throat> the reason that you had come by my office is because you, you were um, a guy that had gone back to Uganda several times, and you'd gone back to these missions trips, and you had heard through the grapevine somewhere, somehow, that I was going to Uganda for the first time, taking my step of faith. Yeah. I had some random Ugandan pastor say to me, God wants you to come to Uganda. And I said, ha, yeah, right, I'll pray about it. And I prayed about it. And, <laughs> and uh, Corey Trimble, my pastor, said, I think God's saying you need to go. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know where Uganda is on a map. <laughs> and so you found out, you came by my office one day, and you just said, my name is Mike Sanchez. I want to pray for you. God's going to do something awesome in you. And I remember our whole initial first conversation was less than three minutes. And you walked away, and I looked at the secretary at the front desk, and I'm like, "Who? who is that? What was that about? You know. And then fast forward, you and I started going to Uganda to get together. Yeah. And then we led a team together in 2019. Yeah. And on that team, we had a uh, a woman who um, now is our missionary yes. that's over there. And, um, man, it's amazing what God's doing. Tell a little bit about what, what Tara, our missionary, is doing over there now.
2: Yeah, so it's so amazing. So mm. Tara, who is living there now, one of the one of her main focuses, not her only focus, but her main focus is the street boys. Mm. Um, street boys is one of the largest issues in Uganda. There's these boys who maybe lose one parent <coughs> or they lose both their parents and they end up on the streets or some of them even get kicked out just because it's too hard for their parents to take care of them uh, from a money and a food provision. And typically when... A boy ends up on the street there there's there's no way out um yep. they typically become they learn to live for survival they become violent they become a menace to society and no one including the government will have anything to do with them mm-hmm. and so what tara primarily does is she works with these street boys um the first time i met the street boys was back in 2012 I met a group of them and every trip I went to Uganda I always visited them we would we would put, take food and go play soccer with them at the field yeah and so when Tara moved there what Tara has been doing as she has been a whole we used the we used the playing the soccer as the evangelism tool and invited them and then Tara started a Bible study hmm. and in the beginning I believe her first Bible study had like It was like 12 people and then it grew quickly. And then I believe it got to like 30 or 40 and then she had to add add another day and add another day. (laughs) And what is amazing is the way Tara has lived her life. And these boys have seen, they've seen the love of Christ in her. And these boys respect Tara so much and listen to Tara so well. And because of Tara's obedience to the Lord, so many of these boys' lives have been transformed to where some of these boys now have their own businesses, and they are completely um, independent, and they even help with some of the other street boys, and uh, some of these boys are wanting to be ministers, pastors. Um, It has been absolutely amazing, the work that the Lord has done through Tara there.
1: So I know you've probably thought about this, but I mean, just consider this. If you had never said yes to God to go on that first trip to Uganda, um, you and I would probably have never met. Yeah. And if you and I had probably never met, Tara might have never gone to Uganda on a team that you and I led. Yeah. Tara might have never gone to Uganda to be a missionary. And if she had never gone to to be a missionary, those boys might still be on the street um, running with the gangs and huffing kerosene And so, man, when you look back, you could have pursued this life of chasing the American dream, getting a bigger house, nicer car every year, yada, 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 and probably been content, at least in some sense of it. But God led you down a different path. And it's not been easy. It's had a set of challenges. But man, I can look and just see the the blessing that has come with that, that you have a purpose that, man is so much more eternal and so much more significant than, than just that, just that version of what people say is living and what people say is um, the good life, you know? And it's amazing just to think about that.
2: Yeah. God is so good. You know, it's, it's been amazing through that surrender to him, how much it transformed my family to where, you know, my family and I are closer than we've ever been my yeah. life and I's marriage you know, we had the first, we'll be married 25 years again, I say, in, in June. And probably the first eight years of our marriage was horrible. And then the next few years was decent. And then when I began to truly live for the Lord and lead my wife the way I was called to, it really changed.
1: Okay, so for the guy listening to this that um, may feel like he is stuck right now he's on the treadmill of a modern life. He knows Jesus. He loves Jesus, but he just doesn't feel like his life has a purpose. He's just kind of doing the thing where he gets up and goes to work and he comes home and goes to bed, gets up and does it all over again. What would you say to a guy like that? Does he have to go to the other side of the world to live out his purpose in God? Or or what does that look like in his life right here, right now to live a life of purpose that means something?
2: So, I don't believe anyone has to go to the other side of the world. I believe as the Lord tells us to go to the ends of the earth, that starts in our own neighborhoods, that starts in our own backyards, in our communities and in our families. And what I would say, you know, is first, if you've never been discipled, you need to find someone that can help guide and disciple you and help mentor you and help grow Mm. you in your walk with Christ. And if you have, then you need to start discipling someone. Yeah. And you need to start serving the Lord. you know and, and one big misconception that i think all of us can have at some point in our christian walk is sometimes we start to serve in an area and we're like well that doesn't fill me up mm. um unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it you know serving isn't to fill us up serving is to fulfill the call of the lord on our lives and wow. and through that and when we see that we'll begin to receive a joy and it will be fulfilling yeah. because it won't matter if we don't like doing it we'll do it and we'll see it glorify god and and through that we will get the joy and the feeling that we're looking for. Yeah.
1: So really, like, in the kingdom of God, it's everything in reverse because the world says, hey, to get fulfilled, you got to take what's yours. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, if you want to find life, you got to be willing to lose it. You got to take the cross. You got to be willing to die. You got to be a servant of all, and that's how you find life. And so um, that starts, I think, like you said, in discipleship and you don't have to go to the other side of the world you can be an hvac guy right you can witness to your clients you can witness to the guys that are on the job site with you you had a lot of employees that weren't christians right yeah
2: Yeah. so i had i had a a, i had a a, one guy that was a, a hardcore atheist that and god did a an amazing miracle in his life but he ended up becoming a christian wow and you know and what was one thing that was really neat you know it's it seems a little silly but it was pretty neat is that I always shared my faith with people I believe I was called to do that and as I grew in my walk I <coughs> would do that but I I was never hard on people I didn't tell them like you know i in a construction industry it's you know language is usually a pretty rough thing oh sure and in the supply houses it's usually a pretty rough thing and um I'm I i did not I didn't cuss uh, that was something that was something god gave me victor over when i started to, to live for him was that foul language yeah and uh and so in these supply houses i was you know i didn't beat people over the head with the bible but they all knew where i stood in my faith and yeah. i never told them don't cuss or i never said any of those things but what was amazing was over time these supply houses were pretty neat because when i go in there you you really believe it or not just out of respect for the lord a lot of them would not that you wouldn't hear cussing. They would all, you know, I'm the weird guy that before Jesus wouldn't do this, but I walk in the supply house and everyone's hugging each other. We're all giving each other <laughs> hugs, you know, in a, in a, in a construction-type place. And and what was crazy was the number of people in the supply houses that ended up going to church, Wow, you know, just through something simple, through just hugging them and yeah. Yeah, sharing, yeah, 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 yeah. sharing about church or Uganda or whatever with them, you know?
1: Yeah. Mike, there's two things that I love about you that are um, – just incredible that God's given you that that mark um, just your presence in the life of anybody you meet. Number one, you're a hugger. If, if Anybody you meet, I think even that first time I met you, you just gave me a giant bear hug and you squeezed me I thought my ribs were going to crack. And I was like, who is this guy, right? Um, but then secondly, you are so incredibly generous with your time, um, with the things that God has given you, Um and so I feel like it is a very common thing for me in my ministry to have somebody come up to me at the end of a church service and say, um, hey, I was led to the Lord or I was discipled by Mike Sanchez and, um, your reach and your influence, um, was not limited by your profession. As a matter of fact, most of the disciples that you've made and the people you won to the Lord, you did it on the job site. And, um... They're always marked by the fact that they're a disciple of Sanchez is because they hug too now. And so (laughs) that's your calling card. I can tell somebody's been discipled by you because they're big huggers. Um, But, man, that's always just been such an inspiration to me. And, And my prayer is that so many guys listening to this and so many guys that are reading the book can understand, man, you don't have to be a pastor to serve God in ministry. You don't have to be a missionary to serve God in ministry. You can be who you are, and you can live out your life's purpose and your life's calling through wherever it is that God has placed you. And um, so, man, I'm just, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for uh, our friendship, and that's taken us to the other side of the world yes. together. And, been awesome and friendship we, yeah, and we've learned new Ugandan phrases together. I have <laughs> I have tufu, Tufuke Wano uh, yes. on my wall here in my office because <laughs> of you, so... Which uh, it means don't urinate here, if you're wondering. If you're, so if you want to know the story, I'll tell you that sometime. But uh, Mike, grateful for you, man. Thank okay. you so much Thank for uh, hanging out with me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Committed Masculinity Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want more, head over to Amazon and pick up your copy of the book, Committed Biblical Masculinity. Please give this podcast a share, leave us a review, and tune in next time. Thanks again for listening.